In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, I have as my guest a gentleman who has pioneered an area of taking care of women's sexual health and their function. My guest is Dr. Peter Pasek, and he is a double board certified MD. He is certified both in surgery and in plastic and reconstructive surgery. He is based in New Hampshire, in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I first met Dr. Pasek at a presentation in Henderson, Nevada, at the Quad S meeting, Society for the Scientific Study of Sexuality. Don't say that if you've had a glass of wine. (laughs) And what I was struck by is that he was speaking on the subject of vaginismus and a treatment for it. Because for those of us in the field of sexuality and sexual health, we are well aware that for women who have painful intercourse, which is dyspareunia, and who have vulvodynia and who have vaginismus, this is a very difficult area to treat and to understand. And the majority of physicians do not know much about it. So these women don't get, as the expression would go, taken care of. Now, Peter, I believe you are on the line with me. I am. <laughs> Lovely to have you with me. Thank you, Lou. Lovely to be here. Can you please, let's just start right at the top. As a physician, can you please explain medically and in lay terms what vaginismus is? Uh, basically, vaginismus, I think that there really are a couple of parts to that answer. Mm-hmm. The most important part is that a woman is unable to have comfortable intercourse. Uh, It can go on for many, many years. It could go on for a short period of time. But the most important part of this is uh, when you speak to the women, they've always had pain or they've had so much pain on attempting intercourse Mm -hmm. that it's impossible for them to have intercourse. So 
that becomes the first and most important part of it. A second part of it is that in the more severe forms of vaginismus, there is so much muscular spasm in the vagina mm-hmm. that they're not able to have any form of penetration at all. So spasm becomes a component of it also in the more severe cases. So I would say that uh, that pretty much those two things are the important aspects. The third important aspect is that the condition is involuntary and uncontrolled so that a woman doesn't have the ability to simply say, I don't want to have intercourse. They simply can't, and they don't have any choice. It's just an uncontrolled, involuntary uh, type of reflex against any form of penetration. And that would be a finger, a penis, a speculum, anything? In the, in the severe cases, mm-hmm. it is everything that you've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. In the less severe cases, patients may be able to use a tampon. They may be able to tolerate finger penetration. Uh, sometimes they can even tolerate a GYN examination, though that's rare because of the speculum. Mm-hmm. But they are usually unable to tolerate dilators or intercourse and that is in the more severe cases. Right. Now, you also educated me on the Lamont scale. Yes. And, and I don't know who Lamont is, <laughs> but you also ended up adding an additional category, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. John Lamont is a gynecologist who lives in Canada mm-hmm. who uh, practiced at McMaster University. Mm-hmm. And in 1978, he described a classification system to stratify the severity of vaginismus. And so he went from Lamont 1s and 2s where patients, uh, Lamont 1, a patient has tightness of the pelvic musculature but is able to relax. In a level 2, the patient is unable to relax. In a level 3 or grade 3, the patient begins withdrawing from the examination by lifting her buttocks up. In a grade four, the patient has a generalized retreat where they will lift their buttocks up, pull back to avoid having penetration, the thighs clamp shut, and um, that's in a a grade four. Mm -hmm. My own patients have said when I when they fill out the questionnaire for me so that I can understand the severity of of their vaginismus, Mm -hmm. my patients have said to me, that doesn't go far enough. You really need to have a grade five. And in a grade five, you have this fight or flight mechanism when you have an outpouring of adrenaline and you start having palpitations or hyperventilation, uh, nausea, vomiting, sweating, uh, extreme nervousness, shaking, wanting to jump off the table. This is the most severe form of vaginismus. This is a, a type that I see on a regular basis because mm-hmm. these patients have such high levels of anxiety uh, that they are just unable to tolerate uh, even an examination. Now, there's also some people when we speak of you know painful intercourse, they may have heard of vulvodynia. Yes. They may have heard of, you know, other terms, and they may think the vaginismus is the same thing. 
So can you d- explain or, or define, you know, for people the difference between, you know, uh, just general dyspareunia, vulvodynia? Um, these, these are all terms. These are all medical terms that can be confusing to a lot of people. Uh, the word dynia comes from the Greek root odyne, and mm-hmm. that's pain. Okay. So if you have vulvodynia, you have pain in the vulva. Most people don't know where the vestibule is, but the word vestibule means room. And so there is a space outside the vagina, inside the labia, that kind of is like a room. It's, it's just prior to entering the vagina. And that room is the vestibule. And vestibulodynia is pain in that room or pain in the vestibule. Right. And then you have the term that you used earlier, dyspareunia, mm-hmm. and the word perunia means intercourse, and dys means difficult. Um, and so patients can have difficulty with intercourse. So they're really, as far as dyspareunia and vaginismus is concerned, and these are terms that people might hear about, that's really more of a spectrum. You can have a person who is able to have intercourse, but it's uncomfortable, and that's dyspareunia. Mm-hmm. Then you can have, in that, in that same spectrum, though more severe, we start moving into vaginismus, where a patient has extreme pain on penetration, or it's impossible for them to have the penetration. And so there is this spectrum from dyspareunia to vaginismus. Now, to... Answer the question about the vulvodynia and the vestibulodynia. Sometimes a person may have associated vulvodynia, so they may have vaginismus, but also pain in the vulva. Mm-hmm. And approximately half of my patients have this on testing. But when I start asking them a lot of questions, they don't really have pain, they have tremendous anxiety and fear which feels like pain. Okay. And sometimes my patients are not able to differentiate what they're feeling when I'm testing them. I test them in my certified surgery center. Depending on the level of anxiety, they may or may not have some sedation. And when I ask them to give me a reading on how much pain they're having or how much anxiety, there are some patients who have so much anxiety that they can't differentiate between pain and anxiety. And so vulvodynia, when it is associated with vaginismus, in, you know, in, the, in my observations, is usually due to high anxiety and usually disappears once they have intercourse. Now, you can have pure vulvodynia, where a patient does not have vaginismus, but they simply have pain involving some part of their vulva. And that actually seems to be a different condition. Okay. That is just completely different than the vaginismus that we're speaking about. And we have one minute until our break. Um, I did not realize that it was often completely separate. Yes, it can be a completely separate uh, condition, and they do have the National Vulvodynia Association, which mm-hmm. deals with people who have more the pure form of vulvodynia. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Now, we're going to have our break in like 30 seconds here. When we come back from that, Dr. Pasek and I are going to go over how, as a board-certified plastic surgeon, how his professional focus came to include vaginismus, and then we have a whole range of things to go over with you. And we'll discuss his book, When Sex Seems Impossible, which are stories of vaginismus and how you can achieve intimacy. Um, both It's on Amazon and where else? It's also on my website, plasticsurgerypa.com. Okay, here comes our tune. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on TogiNet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all. And the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. central here on Toginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Peter Pasek, who is a performing plastic surgeon um, in Manchester, New Hampshire, who has become a pioneer in helping patients overcome severe vaginismus. 
And just before the break, I said that we would come back and I would, we would find out. So, Dr. Pasek, how did you, as a certified plastic surgeon, change and put your professional focus to start on vaginismus? Because in, I remember in Henderson, Nevada, you said when you first went into plastic surgery, you were doing things like reconstructive work, you know, for someone who had cancer in a jaw or a neck or something, and this was not even on your radar. Well, that's absolutely correct, and it did not get on my radar until 2005 mm-hmm. when a patient of mine called and asked if I would treat her vaginismus with Botox. So I knew very little about vaginismus. I actually had to look it up on the Internet to see what it involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, Botox I'm very familiar with because I've, I've done thousands of injections and hundreds of patients. Um, and so I'm real comfortable with the drug, and I understand the indications, and I understand how one needs to use the drug. But I was not familiar with using the drug for vaginismus. So I asked her if she could find the article for me, and it took about two or three months before we were able to identify uh, some work that uh, Shirin Ghazazadeh uh, did in Iran. This is a a female gynecologist who reported on 24 cases using botulinum toxin A, which is Botox. Um, Once I had that article, I uh, began studying how I might incorporate it into my own practice for this particular patient because Mm -hmm. she was the only patient that I was going to be treating at that time. And so um, it took about uh, three months before I felt comfortable treating her and I decided to bring her into my certified surgery center, and with sedation, I was able to identify where the muscular spasm was. Everybody knows about Botox being injected into the face. Uh, We can certainly smooth out frown lines and forehead wrinkles and crow's feet very, very easily. And so Botox is used to quiet down the muscles. And in this particular patient, her entry muscle to the vagina was very overactive and in spasm, and so that's where I injected the Botox. I then treated her with dilators. Um, Later on, when she left, she started uh, working with dilators, and then I continued to follow her. Now, here's the question that some people have said. Is how, you know, it takes how many days for the Botox to become effective? It takes between two and five days, generally. Uh, range would be about two to seven days. Okay. Now, I know there was a walk on the beach, honeymoon beach, with your wife, Janet, that was pivotal in how you were taking care of patients with this. That's correct. So when I first started, I would get them into my operating room, And I would examine uh, for, number one, pathology, number two, to determine uh, the amount of spasm, where the spasm was, and how I wanted to inject the Botox. One of the things that I do is I only inject the side walls of the vagina. I stay away from the urethra, the bladder, and the rectum because I don't want any weakness of those areas because I don't want any incontinence. And in actual fact, uh, that has worked out quite well for the patients. Uh, the, the, the fly in the ointment, the rub, was that the patient still had to go home and still overcome their anxiety of inserting dilators. 
And some of my patients spent an hour or more just starting with the small dilators and advancing. Now they were able to use the dilators because now the muscles which were spastic are a lot weaker and more pliable, so they were sooner or later uh, able to use the dilators, but sometimes it just took a long time, and sometimes the patients worked for a long time each time to get the dilators in. Mm -hmm. So the pivotal point in the treatment was a walk on the beach with my wife. Interestingly, the name of the beach was, interestingly, the name of the state park is called Honeymoon Island down in Florida on the West Coast. And we were walking uh, along the beach, as we do so often, and Janet said to me, Peter, if dilation is so important for these patients and that this is what's going to ultimately allow them to get into intercourse, why don't you leave a dilator in place when they're under anesthesia? And that was absolutely pivotal, pivotal because you could have knocked me over with a feather at that moment uh, because it was so profound. Um, once, and, and, and the, my very next patient uh, by the name of Kelsey, who has been fabulous in terms of being an advocate for other women, and she's had YouTubes, and she's spoken to my patients. She, she was actually my first patient that I tried that on. I said, Kelsey, you're my guinea pig and uh, we're going to try it on you. And uh, as she was waking up in the recovery room, we were all hanging around her bed just to see how she would react, you know, to having a dilator in place because we hadn't experienced it yet. We wanted to experience it with her. Mm -hmm. And so she woke up, and she's sort of looking at us, and we're looking at her, and... and, uh, and then, you know, she said, well, do I have something in there? And, of course, I use a long-acting local anesthetic so they can't feel it because I don't want them to be in pain. Right. And uh, so she felt down there, and sure enough, there was the dilator. And then she started moving it and turning it a little bit and moving it in and out. And then she took that large dilator out and looked at it and was amazed because she had never been able to penetrate. And... Then she put it back in, and um, and she writes. She she was terrific. She she went public with this whole thing. In my book, she's the only person uh, that I'm using the correct name, and she asked that I do that. Um, you know, there's a pseudonym for the other patients to for patient privacy. But Kelsey was right out there as a public advocate, working with my patients, uh, doing this YouTube. And she said, uh, and it's in my book, that this was what flipped the switch. This actually flipped the switch for her. And then she went on to be successful with her goals, and she's now well over a year, and she continues to be successful, and I'm still in communication with her. But she was my first patient that had that. And, of course, now we do it on all of the patients, and it's very, very successful because it allows them to... um, you know, to to make tremendous progress early on, even before the Botox is kicking in. Right. Now, because you said that in your presentation, some of these women fly from, you know, you know, huge distances away, and they have spent years being told that, you know, they have no solution. They, you know, tend, some, some women, it's been decades that they have suffered from this. That's correct. And so 
So you give them something knowing that they are going to be going back, you know, to, you know, good distances away from you. What's the furthest away someone has come? Uh, we've had patients from New Zealand, Australia. I have somebody that I'm working with from Africa. Mm-hmm. I have a number of patients from Europe, uh, Hungary and Portugal, uh, a lot of patients from England, and, of course, all over the United States. Now, and, and they find you via the Internet, correct? Yes, that's correct. Because yeah, I, I know for most women where they do the majority of their researching is they do it, you know, they, they use the Internet for research. That's correct. So these women, they, you're giving them the long-lasting anesthesia. They're, yes. under, they're under anesthesia anyways. Tell the story of the gentleman who was with his partner thinking that it was in her head. Well, that's most of my that's most of my husband's <laughs> you know they all I mean it even happened today. I treated three patients today, and I had lunch with uh, one of the husbands and uh until today he thought to to himself, "You know why can't she just relax i mean even even we had this conversation today over lunch, and this is true of a lot of the men. they just don't understand what's going on, they feel. There's so much that goes – the men participate in this condition as almost as much as the women do because the men think they're doing something wrong. Uh, the men think that they're, uh, you know, not good lovers. Uh, why is this happening? And it's just – the whole thing is just totally misunderstood. They just can't understand that the women – really are not choosing to have this condition. And that comes really full face then when they're under anesthesia because once I finish my external examination and once I do my finger evaluation where I determine which muscles are in spasm, we then put the patients under a very light general anesthesia but enough so that they're not aware of what's going on. And the amazing thing that happens, especially in the more severe patients, patient after patient, they've had enough anesthesia where you could do surgery on them. The face is completely flaccid. The arms are completely flaccid. And the pelvis is still writhing in an attempt to escape me. And this is even under anesthesia. And then I examine them under anesthesia, and they still have spasm, and then I have the husband or the partner put on a glove, and he feels for the spasm and realizes that this is the brick wall that the patients are talking about. The patients um, uniformly and universally speak about uh, it being like a brick wall. In other words, mm-hmm. the, the penis just can't get in there. Even this husband today, he said he tried. He tried to force his way in, and he said it was like a wall. He couldn't get in. And that's the associated spasm that is present usually involving the entry muscle, okay. even even under anesthesia. Which is, that's the aha moment for men. We have probably 10 seconds until our next break. My guest is Dr. Peter Pasek, and we're talking about vaginismus. Here come the tunes. We'll give you the 800 number when we come back if you have any questions.
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Peter Pasek, and we are talking about the subject of vaginismus and his book, When Sex Seems Impossible, Stories of Vaginismus and How You Can Achieve Intimacy. If any of you have questions um, and would like to call in tonight, the 800 number is 877-864-4869, repeating 877-864-4869. And if you would like more information in the area of vaginismus or to be in contact with Dr. Pasek, his website is plasticsurgerypa.com. So that's plasticsurgerypa.com, all one word. And you can order When Sex Seems Impossible on Amazon. It comes in a Kindle version. Or you can call their office directly if you or you know someone who is dealing with this or needs to have questions answered. There's lots of information on his website. It's 1-800-640-0290. Repeating again, one 800 
6400290. So before we um, took the break, Peter, you were talking about the husband today who said, wow, that's the wall I'm feeling. One of the things that I'd like you to go over a little bit, describe a little bit quickly the history of what we know medically about vaginismus and how far have we come. The history is actually very, very interesting. Um, and it's been around, the diagnosis has been around for about 150 years. Uh, J. Marion Sims a, is considered the father of gynecology, reported a case report uh, of his own patient. He had no idea what this was. The woman had been married for 25 years and has never had any form of penetration. And he described this in, um, in one of the uh, London Obstetrical Society journals in 1861. So we're actually 150 years out now. Mm-hmm. Um, and his description of vaginismus is almost identical to what I uh, experience and evaluate in my own operating room. Mm-hmm. And I think the pity is that we have really made very, very little progress in 150 years because this condition is still largely unknown. Um, it's not really taught in most GYN residencies. Um, I've spoken to young doctors graduating with family practice or internal medicine degrees, and it wasn't covered there either. And so a lot of physicians just don't have any information about vaginismus. They've not heard of the condition. They don't know how to diagnose it. They don't know how to treat it. And usually it's the patient herself or the husband of the patient or the mother of the patient that is doing the research and then finds it on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And how many different places can people go? What happens if someone can't go to Manchester, New Hampshire? For the less severe problems where patients have less anxiety, there are a number of treatment options that are available to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They could go to a physical therapist who specializes in vaginismus for pelvic stretching and the use of dilators. They respond to hypnotherapy. They will respond to psychotherapy and sex counseling. Mm -hmm. They um, sometimes will respond to uh, creams that have a local anesthetic in them. Uh, So there are a variety of treatments that work. Most of them incorporate the use of dilators. Most of them incorporate progressive dilation where women will dilate to the larger dilators. Mm -hmm. It's often very, very helpful for their partner to be involved with them, with their dilation. And this is one of the things we stress in our own center is having the partners involved because it becomes very easy for a woman to just do all the dilations herself. But she's still going to have anxiety about penile penetration. And we, we, when we talked earlier, you spoke of the therapeutic element that was so crucial to taking care of. You can deal with the physical, but then we have the psychological, and is it going to hurt? How, what's going to be happening? 
Exactly, and I think we are dealing with a com- I know we are dealing with a combination of the psychological and the physical. The mm-hmm. psychological is the anxiety component. Mm-hmm. The physical is the spasm in one or more of the muscles inside the vagina. And so the Botox itself will handle the spasm, or in the less severe cases, physical therapy can work with them. Uh, They can use dilators and progressively dilate themselves up without resorting to Botox. And most of my patients are the more severe or the most severe forms of vaginismus. And in actual fact, when I did a study I presented out uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, at the Ishwish conference, and uh, my average patient has had uh, refractory treatment, unable to be treated for 9.6 years, oh, and that's a pretty long time. Now, I mean, as now, for the muscles that are involved that are in spasm, many people know about the PC muscle, the pubococcygeus, but they may not know that there are other muscles within that pelvic floor area, and my understanding from you is it's not the PC muscle that's the culprit. It's another muscle. That's absolutely correct. The PC muscle is a larger muscle, and when we're trying to hold back having to go to the bathroom, we're Mm -hmm. contracting that uh, PC muscle, the pubococcygeus, and basically doing a Kegel so we don't soil ourselves. Right. And that is the muscle that has been implicated in, from a lot of different sources. When I examine my patients, it's actually the entry muscle, which is a much smaller muscle. It's the bulbocavernosum. And that's just a small muscle that is a ring right around the entry to the vagina. It's actually located just under the hymenal remnant. So when one looks in the vagina with a speculum, the first thing that you see upon entering the vagina would be a kind of a friable mucosa, which would be the remnants of the hymen. Right underneath that is the bulbocavernosum, and that is usually the muscle that's in spasm. When I examine further up towards the cervix for the PC, that's Mm -hmm. usually soft, And when I go all the way up to the level of the cervix, we have another muscle called the puborectalis, Mm -hmm. and that's usually soft. Sometimes it may have one or two, uh, one or two over four uh, degree, not spasm, but what we call hypertonus, which is increased tone. Mm -hmm. So it is really primarily the entry muscle, and that entry muscle is so tight that you can barely put a finger in it. The way it looks, the way it appears when you look at it, Mm -hmm. if you were to close your fist really tight and try to put your finger into that little opening where you just can't get it in, Mm -hmm. that's what it looks like when I'm examining the the, uh, bulbocavernosum muscle. Wow. Now, how and why and what is the cause of this? Do we have any idea? I would say that the cause is generally unknown. A study came out of McGill University um, demonstrating that women who were sexually molested were twice as likely to have vaginismus. It was a well-done study. It's been quoted many, many times. And uh, therapists and sex counselors will sometimes dig, you know, to see if there was any sexual molestation. I'm now following approximately 190 patients, and I have data on all of them. And I I personally find 
that um, sexual molestation is about 20% of my population, and that's about normal. I don't really find that it's that much higher in this population. So that may or may not be contributory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem that we have with understanding the etiology is that um, it's not um, related only to vaginismus. So uh, the things that are implicated in the etiology of this would be things uh, like strict sexual or religious upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, not getting pregnant until they get married, not having intercourse until they're getting married. Then you add to that that uh, their girlfriends will say to them, you know, first-time sex is very painful. There's mm-hmm. bleeding, uh, there's tearing and ripping. And this sets up a fear that in some women gets translated where this reflex goes down to the bulbocavernosum and they go into spasm. It's a way that the body tends to protect itself against perceived pain. Mm-hmm. And then there's some women also who are terrified about contracting HIV or some of the... An STI. And so um, that becomes another factor. Now... It is true that most of my patients do report some positive aspects of that. The problem with that as being germane to the etiology is that the average woman will also have some fear of some of those items. And that's why we can't say for sure that these items are related to vaginismus. We can only make an observation, yes, they exist, is it the etiology? I would say that I am not sure about that. Right. Well, I, I mean, I had shared with you, we have like a minute until our next break, of a woman who had told me she was married six weeks, she wasn't a true wife, she couldn't have intercourse, and her whole fear was the fear of penetration. And it ended up being, you know, the discussion for her and I she I said who told you it was going to be painful and she said well my mother yes that's and right she said she said it would bleed and it would tear and I said oh my dear you're designed to have babies out of there chances are no I said do something slow do you wear tampons she said yes what size she said super I said chances are your hymen's already broken and you're going to be okay but I said, you have to do it. He doesn't want to hurt you. The last thing he'd want to do. And she called me two weeks later and said, and she was crying and said, thank you. I am now a wife. And on that, we're going to a break. Please stay with us. My guest is Dr. Peter Pasek. We'll be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. The 25 breaks a couple of tackles. Headline, go, go, go. He could go all the 
Wait! Touchdown! 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 Get ready for some football. Talk, that is, with Confessions of a College Football Rules Violator with Lance Siegel on toginet.com Tuesday nights at 11 Central. This is your chance with Lance and his friends to share opinions about last weekend's sporting events. All the sports networks and TV shows have shown their top ten at least a hundred times. And the commentators and guest analysts have gone over every single slow motion instant replay, and yet there are still some of us fans who want to wring the referee's neck or fire the coach or kick the player off the team. So let's do it. Here, with confessions of a college football rules violator. So enjoy next week's games, then be here to talk about them. With Lance, it's cathartic, soul-cleansing, and gives you one more chance to scream about a bad call. It's confessions of a college football rules violator. With Lance Siegel, Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central on toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Peter Pasek, who is an MD surgeon who has a practice in Manchester, New Hampshire, and his specialty in one area is working with patients with vaginismus. For anyone who may want to contact directly to his office, the 800 number is one 800 640 repeating one 800 6400290 and or go on to plasticsurgerypa.com again plasticsurgerypa.com and if you are interested in the book and I have to tell you this book walks you through with the heart and the awareness of women who have been dealing with this for years and as I wrote in the article I mean the introduction of this book kind of says it all you know stories that need to be told the title is when sex seems impossible it is on Amazon in a Kindle form, or you can also order it through Dr. Pasek's office. So, Peter, walk someone through a typical, if there is such a thing, first meeting and examination through to the procedure, you know, working with your, you know, highly trained, you know, surgery nurses who was there with the presentation in um, Henderson, Nevada. Certainly. Um, I think that really the first thing that happens is that a patient with vaginismus or her husband or mother contacts my office, either by email or by phone, 
And they simply say that, you know, they've done uh, Internet research, they are a sufferer of uh, vaginismus, and could my office send them information? And so we have a number of things that we send out. We send out a lot of links to my website and to YouTubes where they could see um, some, where they can get information on the YouTubes. And part of that is that they uh, get a, a comprehensive questionnaire. The questionnaire is very, very comprehensive. It goes through past medical history, and it then it goes through a lot of the different aspects of what they've been experiencing. What kind of treatment have they had? How long has it lasted? What are they suffering from? What are the pain scores? What is the penetration history or, you know, the history of being able to be penetrated by uh, tampons, finger, GYN examination uh, intercourse? Mm -hmm. um, and so each of these categories then has uh, a space for details. And it's, it's an expandable questionnaire, so the patient can write down as much as they want to in the details. Mm -hmm. And what happens is this gets mailed to me, and I look this over very, very carefully. And once I look that over, I'm usually able to say, yes, I think this patient has vaginismus, and yes, uh, this is a mild form which might be suitable to one of the other types of treatment that we discussed, or mm -hmm. it's a more severe form where it's been going on for a pretty long time, and I feel that uh, the Botox and progressive dilation under anesthesia would be the appropriate treatment for them. Right. Now, this but, is, uh, you spoke of the 190 women. Are they part of that um, FDA study that you were doing? Um, of the, of the, those patients, the study is a pilot study of 30 patients. Okay. And those 30 patients are included uh, in the 190 that I'm following. Okay. So then the very next thing that happens is that I will contact the patient personally and set up a personal phone call or Skype conversation. And this usually takes about 30 to 60 minutes. I mm -hmm. go over the questionnaire with them. I ask them questions. They ask me questions. We go over the procedure. I walk them through the procedure. I encourage them to read the book because the book really outlines everything from A to Z and what they uh, what they need to know about vaginismus. Right. Well, and exactly. And on page 91, you actually have the fine art of dilation, questions and answers, mm -hmm. how this is done, when it's done. Yes. So. There's a lot of information in the book. Mm -hmm. And so what we do then is once that's done, then the, the patient determines are they comfortable uh, coming to New Hampshire for the treatment, uh, do they want to come now? Do they want to come later? So a lot of people are working. Some people have a lot of reasons why they can't come now. Sometimes I see patients uh, two years after I've had my conversation with them. Wow. Once they come to the office then, we have a routine where I go up, I say hello. Uh, the anesthesiologist says hello. There's not a lot that I have to do because most of the work has already been done. I've studied the questionnaire. I've had a conversation with them. And most of my patients who come in simply want to go down to the operating room and get it over and done with because, of course, now the anxiety is resurfacing again and they're starting to get nervous. Right. So they go downstairs to my recovery where they change and they get into a gown and intravenous is started 
Once in a while, a patient has a real phobia to needles that's related to their vaginismus, and then we'll start um, the IV under sedation or light anesthesia in the operating room. We've done it that way. Mm -hmm. Patient has a brief examination, is moved over to the operating room, sedated or unsedated, and then the patient is examined externally, examined with a finger, uh, evaluation to determine where the spasm is. And once I've done that, then the patient gets more of a light anesthetic. Uh, and where, and, but at what point would the husband then, you would guide the husband and say, see, this is what I'm talking about here? The husband stays with the patient the entire time. The husband stays with the patient in the recovery area. The husband stays with the patient in the operating room. As the patient goes to sleep, the husband is holding her hand. Once the patient is asleep, the husband comes down uh, to my area where the patient is uh, being examined and uh, then has a glove, and he will be able to see and feel everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And then we do the procedure of injecting the Botox, injecting a long-acting anesthetic, and progressively dilating them. And the reason for the long-acting anesthetic is so that they don't have any discomfort whatsoever from the, uh, from the dilators, and the anesthetic lasts about 8 to 12 hours. And you said you used, um, like, insulin needle, needles. Yes, I use a very, very delicate uh, in, a 30-gauge insulin needle that people use to inject themselves with insulin. And, and, that you, is and do you show them the needle? Uh, no, I just, uh, I, I don't think that... <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, do I don't you tell them it's a little needle? I don't think too much about the needles. Uh, <laughs> I would certainly show it to them, and mm -hmm. maybe it's not a bad idea, you know. It's something that I could try doing. And, and seeing just say how if so, the needles are so tiny. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very tiny, and maybe it's not a bad idea to show it to them. But it's so tiny that it really doesn't cause, it just causes maybe a drop or two of blood. And, um, and it's a very tiny needle. And that's why uh, it's just such a non-aggressive uh, treatment because most of my patients who have Botox into the face, by the time I use a little ice and I use a vibrator to distract them, they don't even feel the injections going into the face. And uh, here they're asleep, so they definitely don't feel them. And there's no pain from the injections at all when they wake up. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a step-by-step. -step. And then they, they are transferred back to recovery with the largest dilator in place. After about an hour, they start rotating the dilator, moving it in and out, taking it out completely, putting it back in. And then I have a nursing staff that's trained to work with them post-procedure with the dilators, and then, at, then they go back to their hotel or they go home. They come in the next day, and then we work with more supervised dilation. The patients uh, will have slept with the medium-sized dilator overnight. They come back in, and the next day when they come back in, every single patient is able to dilate right back up to the larger dilators, and now the local anesthesia is worn off. Mm-hmm. And um, we do counseling, how to use the dilators. We do sex counseling in terms of um, many, in terms of just understanding how to transition from dilators to intercourse. Right, and also how to transition from the not having had the physical contact to having the physical contact in their own environment. Exactly. And, and the follow-up, I think, is like one of the more crucial things for them. 
Right, and the follow-up is done in several different ways. The follow-up is done by me personally, uh, where I will, uh, they, they're asked to email me every day so that I get a progress report. And then the follow-up is also done by referral to a sex therapist or psychologist because many of these patients have some additional residual problems such as low libido, which happens in some of these patients, and orgasmia where they're not able to orgasm. They bring in relationship issues which, you know, need much longer treatment. They have residual high anxiety. They have continued fear of penile penetration. So this is where a sex therapist, a psychologist, a physical therapist can really help um, this group of patients continue to achieve success. And you know, and them knowing, for example, that that there is a, a multimodal uh, model that can go there and can help them take care of this on many different levels when for so long so many of these women and the men and their partners have been told, you know, it's in your head and you don't know what you're talking about. And you know, what as I said, when I heard your presentation, I was like, "Oh, thank God, finally, we have something for them. Do you send them home with lubricant and other things as well? Yes, and we also advise them about many of the lubricants that are on the market. We explain the differences between water-soluble and silicone lubricants. We talk about uh, parabens, allergies, where they right. contain certain lubricants that don't contain the preservatives. And we do cover lubricants quite a bit. And there's a lot on the market that they can choose from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which now we have one minute left. I would like people to know that my guest this evening is Dr. Peter Pasek, who is a surgeon in Manchester, New Hampshire, specializes in one area of treating women with vaginismus. He has an, in 2010, he received an FDA approval to continue his study using intravaginal injections of Botox with progressive dilation. His number, if you wish to get a hold of him, is one 800 6400290 his book when sex seems impossible is on amazon um in a kindle form and peter thank you so much for being my guest and thank you for taking care of these women you're very welcome lou it was a great conversation and thanks for having me on your show okay and and then any of your people can get it on itunes free download afterwards yes thank you okay thanks so much for being with us Thank you, Lou. Talk to you next week. Okay, bye, Peter. Bye-bye. And learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou.